HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Pierre Chum, who wrote a follow-up to his first book about Senegalese cuisine, this one appropriately called Senegal. Um, And what Senegalese cuisine is, is kind of this amalgamation of, of a lot of different cuisines, because there were colonists of many sorts, Portuguese, French, even Vietnamese via Indochina, via those French. So it's a fascinating place to to not only see the terrain and, and meet the people, but you know you wonder why there are baguettes all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> there, but there's a reason behind that, Pierre. T- tell me why baguettes are in Senegal. Oh, baguettes are in Senegal because the French have been um, in Senegal for close to 500 years. Senegal you have to realize it is like the entrance to Africa because it's located in the most western coast of Africa. It's like the country that edges into the Atlantic Ocean. So it was a natural port of entrance for all the, 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 the mariners who were arriving in South Africa, the French, the Portuguese. They came through Senegal. The Gambia, the Mali, uh, the, the English as well came through Senegal and stayed in Gambia. So the Dutch as well. It's like all these these different uh, European colonies, but the French came and they stayed and they stayed and they came with their culture and the French, when they come, they come with the food <laughs> <laughs> so the food became something that's very symbolic, the baguette You know, the Senegalese have baguette every day for breakfast every street corners of Senegal you'd find a baguette corner, a kiosk that sells baguette, so yes yeah, it's yeah. funny, um, I know a couple 
bakers who are, who are from like northern Africa who worked cruise lines for years and they make some of the best pastries I've ever had in my life. And I said, oh, you trained in Paris. They're like, no, you know, I learned in Dakar. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's surprising how um, food, food is, has this um, uh, particular element. It travels with people just um, absorb. Uh, good food, you know, we embrace it. And Senegalese, we, we've been great at embracing French cuisine because of that French influence, but we embraced Vietnamese when they came to Senegal via Indochine after the French had to leave Vietnam. We did the same thing with Lebanese cuisine. Lebanese cuisine is very, very much present in certain streets of downtown Dakar, you know. And uh, the way we embrace it, though, we, took, we take the, the dishes and we give it a Senegalese touch, you know. We have the, the Senegalese fataya, which is an, a dish from, Vietnam, from uh, Lebanon, and, uh, but we give it our own tweak. The Vietnamese spring rolls, the nem, it's a thing you'd think is part of Senegal tradition because every name-birthing ceremony in Senegal without a Vietnamese spring roll is not a proper name-birthing ceremony. That became part of our tradition. So, and so on and so forth. You know, you have like dishes like the pastel that you see in the street corners of Dakar that has a, 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 a Portuguese tradition. You know, it's a turnover, a fish turnover from Portugal, but we give it our trick as well. We serve it with this spicy tomato and chili sauce. And, uh, you know, it's the same as a fried uh, turnover filled with tuna, but it has the flavors of Senegal. We have some cilantro in it. We serve it with that spicy kick that gives it that, uh, that, uh, that uh, just the heat that we need to have in our cuisine. Yeah, I mean, like Africa needed more culture, I mean... You talk about the continent as a whole. There, there are 50-plus countries and over 2,000 different languages. And within every language, obviously, subsects, but that comes that many more different types of cuisine. Um, when you were growing up in Senegal, did you feel all those colonialist influences? Did you feel all those New World influences that, you know, you see that export and trade of, you know, Senegalese cuisine to, to the American South? You see it to the Caribbean. Um, what was your typical meal-like as a child? As a child, my typical meal, yes, I did feel all those influences. Um, I would be expecting a lunch, typical Senegalese lunch, for instance. After breakfast, of course, that has the French baguette with uh, maybe a spread like a tartine. We'd call it tartine, which is even a French name. Uh, my tartine could be just butter or, or, or chocolate. The butter, even the butter, oftentimes was imported from, from France, you know. That's the breakfast. The day starts like a French black break day. And then lunch is Senegalese. Oftentimes the chebujan, the national dish, which is the rice that's cooked in the tomato broth that has fish stuffed with a parsley and, 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 uh, and scotch bonnet mixture. And it comes with root vegetables, cassava and sweet potatoes and tamarind. So it gives it a kick as well. So that's the lunch or peanut sauce for lunch as well. You know, mafe we call it. And for dinner, it could be as various depending on what, what, where you eat. If you eat at home, it could be a light Senegalese soup, like pepe soup, you know. Or, or you also have, for my case, I happen to have a godfather who was of Vietnamese origin, Senegalese, Vietnamese, and uh, I would spend time with him sometime, and so I would expect a Vietnamese-influenced dish. You know, if you go out in the street, downtown Dakar, you often have... A Lebanese dish like shawarma is like the, the, the go-to when you go out in Senegal at, at, when you're a teenager my age, back, back then. 
that's what we would have, you know, a shawarma for, for dinner. So Vietnamese, French, Lebanese, Senegalese, and of course also, you know, the maki. Maki is like the underground restaurants that would serve only West African dishes, you know, like grilled, charred, you know, fermented, you know, it could be okra, okra stew, it could be grilled fish, it could be acheke, which is like Ivorian fermented cassava couscous, you know, all those uh, dishes that you would expect to see in those underground places that we call maki. Maki is a name you find in every West African French-speaking country for those underground restaurants. I, I like how you, you consider it underground, but I think of it more as authentic, you know, because you're, you're actually serving the cuisine of whatever's indigenous there, because... Let's talk about some of the ingredients to themselves. Um, we know hibiscus here. Um, only recently, I think it's being imported for certain things like cocktails. You see a lot of hibiscus flour and syrup in cocktails, but it is a very important part of your culture and your cuisine. Um, Bisap, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, you have ginger, lots and lots of ginger. Yeah, uh -huh. But then there's... How do you say it from the babo tree? Bai? Baobab, bui. We yeah, call it bui. bui. bui yeah, yeah. Baobab, yes. Explain to me, first of all, explain to me what that tree looks like because I've only seen it in images and it, it just seems majestic. It's majestic indeed. It's a, that's a symbol of Senegal, the baobab. It's a tree that's been, um, <coughs> that's part of everyone, um, how do you call it? You, can, you cannot escape seeing a baobab in Senegal. It's a giant tree that could live up to a thousand years, if not more. It's amazing the way it looks. Not only it's, it's humongous, but uh, it's often on its own terrain. You know, it's like a whole vast area. Senegal is a very play, uh, like flat country. And you see this humongous tree that looks like an upside-down tree. It's like the tree's been uprooted and the, the roots are raising up to the sky. So it's it's amazing visual already. And plus, um, the, the amazing thing is that's not even a tree. The baobab is considered like a grass. You know, it's from the grass family. So so the, 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 the bark itself is very, it's like spongious, you know. There's a lot of mystical stories around the Baobab. It's a very, it has a cultural meaning that's um, connected with our spirituality, our traditional spirituality. But the fruit itself is considered a superfood. It's very rich in vitamin C. You know, it's like, it has six times the amount of vitamin C than an orange, more, six times more than an orange. And um, it's, uh, the, 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 the leaves, we use it in our cuisine. Everything is being used in the Baobab tree. The leaves, the, the, the bark is used as well for medic medicinal reasons. But the fruit, we make a drink out of it traditionally, and that's good that you mentioned those, those three um, ingredients, the, the hibiscus, the baobab, and um, the ginger, because those are the three drinks that you expect to have when you go to a Senegalese household. You have, they would offer you a drink, because you know, that's, uh, that's part of our tradition. We offer a drink to anyone who comes through your doors. Water, hibiscus, ginger, or buoy, baobab. Yeah. Well, I guess if you stay a while, that's when you get the kana, yeah? You get the, the cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That, that's if you're friends at <laughs> the end of it. <laughs> but, but you're always friends. <laughs> yeah. But let, let's talk about that idea of hospitality. Um, there, there is a word, a Wolof word, um, teranaga. Teranga. Teranga. Uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. And teranga means much more than just hospitality. What, what does it mean to you? Yeah, well, teranga, is, you're right to say it's much more than hospitality. It's, uh, it's our most important value in Senegal. You know, teranga is uh, what, how you treat the guest, you know, 
either expected or unexpected how you treat him by giving him the best of what you have. You invite the guest to share your meal, you know, that's teranga. You sit around a, a bowl, because we eat traditionally around the bowl, and the best way to pre- offer teranga to a guest is to invite him around the bowl and sit with him and share that meal just around the bowl. Oftentimes, even eating with the hand, we eat with the right hand. That's the tradition. The food tastes so much better this way. But it's also a sign of love and trust with everyone who sits around the bowl. So that's that's teranga. Teranga is just uh, giving the best of what you have. And um, I like to say, you know, that uh, also tells a lot about how Senegalese uh, value wealth. You know, we, we, we judge wealth by how much you give rather than how much you have. You know, that's just how you expect to, to be judged. That's just a, a, another, another way to define teranga. So it's all of those things. It's much more than just the word hospitality, which doesn't really do it justice. Well, I mean, let's talk about wealth, actually. And I think the perfect person to talk about in, in that idea is Alina. Um, you know, is, is the person who you named your child after. Uh, uh-huh. so, so tell me about who that heroine of Senegalese you know, history is and what she did with rice. Well, Alain Sitoe Jata, which is her full name, she's originally from the south of Senegal, Casamance, which is where my parents are from. Even though I was born and raised in Dakar, my parents are from the south. And the south is a completely different region than the north. It's the lush, the, the tropical part of Senegal. And um, they, they're very much deep into the culture. And in that part of Senegal, rice is sacred. Rice is sacred, so sacred that we t- give rice to our altars. We, every, every year, every time, the year, important moments, you bring rice to offer to your altars for, 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 for prayers. And this woman, Aline Sitoe, during colonial time, she was a woman of humble beginnings, really. And uh, she saw the danger that the French when they came with that uh, that uh, agricultural colonial policy where they were trying to impose uh, a crop, the peanut at the time for Senegal, but that happened throughout all, all, of, all over colonial Africa. Uh, new crops were being inserted, you know, and it, they were cash crops because the French colonial or the English, whoever were the colonizers, needed it for their industries back home. So for us, it was the peanuts. For the Kenyans, it was tea or coffee or cocoa, you know, whatever the crop was. But Senegal, uh, the peanuts meant, growing peanuts meant uh, cutting trees. In the south, the trees are sacred. And Alin Sitoe saw that danger, and she said, um, she said to her people, you have to refuse this, you know, we have to refuse to cut our trees, to plant peanuts, and we have to refuse the type of rice that these uh, French are importing to uh, to Senegal because we have our own cr- type of rice. This is what we offer to our deities. For our this is sacred, and our deities would not accept the the imported rice. But in reality, what she wanted to do, she was really a visionary, and she saw the danger. She was an environmentalist. She wanted to stop this new crop to arrive and t- uh, to the disadvantage of our local crops. And she refused, and she she organized this movement in the south. And she was this woman who was leading an army of men, refusing to to surrender to the French colonials through this movement. And uh, she was so dangerous, she became a threat to the colonial movement. And they they arrested her, and she got deported out of Senegal, and she never returned. She got deported um, in the middle of the, the, the that fight. You know. Another thing that kind of didn't get deported but exported is that rice. You know, you see it in South Carolina and Carolina gold rice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is certainly from Senegal yeah. or, or that area of Africa. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not something that, you know, uh, just magically appeared. It, it was with intention that certain people were brought over to help grow and harvest that rice. And it was kind of a cash crop, but it was more just for sustenance here at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It was for sustenance. Whereas rice is for sustenance. It's a cash crop and sustenance it makes it even better. But um, but it's interesting you mentioned that because that very part of Senegal, Casamas, was the region that was targeted during slavery because of the technology of rice growing because the people of that region knew how to grow rice. So parts of Africa like Casamas, Sierra Leone, Guinea, Liberia, all those countries that had a rice growing culture became target and they were those people were kidnapped and taken to the Carolinas and they are the real actors of the Carolina gold that you're mentioning and the irony is this same Carolina gold that became gold here in Senegal we kept looking down at it because again that colonial mentality people were brainwashed to believe that everything that's local is inferior you know we were believing that it has to be better if it's imported if it comes from the west if it comes so we looked down at our own local rice which became carolina gold and we imported rice from vietnam from uh, you know from uh, thailand even now 50 years after independence we're still importing that rice you know yeah. which is mind-boggling how you see how how that our local rice is so much more nutritious but and it so much more makes more sense now eating local we have our own local grains and but no we we haven't gotten to that stage yet yeah well i mean next time anyone eats okra black-eyed peas or hop and john at uh-huh. that, <laughs> think about senegal on that note we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back talk more to pierre chum about his book senegal you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Here's what Heritage Radio Network would sound like without donations. Here's what Heritage Radio Network would sound like without donations. It's not as good as the show you were just listening to, is it? It's not as good as the show you were just listening to, is it? Give us a few bucks. Help keep us running. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Click the Donate tab on the top right corner. And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Pierre Cham of Senegal, and of Senegal, the book as well. Um, 
your prior book, and how do you pronounce that? Yolele. Yolele. Mm-hmm. Um, gave people a basis and understanding of what Senegalese cuisine was. Mm. And this book is about modernizing those thoughts, but it really isn't so much about contemporary, you know, ideas on or, or riffing and making, you know, new dishes. It's it's about realizing all these new and outside influences. Um, and we were just talking about, you know, the import and trade of, of rice and ideas and, and flavors. Um, where else does Senegalese cuisine exist in the world? I know there are inferences in Jamaica. I know, I know it's, you know, gone past just South Carolina. Oh, gone past, way past South Carolina. You'd be surprised to have Senegal flavor in Brazil, in Mexico. In Mexico, the same rice story. Mexicans didn't know what rice was until the same people who brought rice to the Carolinas brought it to Mexico as well. It's a great um, uh, scholar from Mexican cuisine who's writing a lot about that, Marco Hernandez, and that's very interesting to read his topic and his, his, his uh, writings. And, uh, you know, but beyond uh, the Americas, Spain, another interesting country, you know, Spain, because of the Moors' influence, and the Moors, if you remember, the Moors' empire went all the way down to south of Mauritania, so it includes Senegal, it includes Mauritania, it includes Morocco, it includes, so all those influences, you have to realize that Spain didn't have rice before the 16th century when it was introduced by the Moor in the Valencia. And the paella has a lot of irresimilarities with the Chebujan, you know, that's their national dish now. So, yeah. so you have, you know, the, these influences of Senegal cuisine can be, and, and when I say Senegal, it's like, of course, it transcends the border of Senegal, it's West African cuisine, and you see, you see these influences in, in many parts of the world, here in America, in the Carolinas, low country, southern, uh, South Carolina, and uh, New Orleans, of course, and uh, that's pretty much for the, for the, uh, the American, con- uh, North America. But uh, all the way last, and then in, in Brooklyn as well, and in Brooklyn. As I well. mean, <laughs> up until 2012, you you had two restaurants here in Brooklyn, Yolele yeah. in the yeah. Grand Dakar, yeah. and um, there's still a plethora of uh, you know African restaurants yeah. uh, in Brooklyn. Which ones do you go to, and what dishes do you eat there? Oh, it depends. And uh, when I go to when I want a quick lunch, there are these amazing buffet places on Fulton Street between. Uh, Franklin and uh, and Bedford, all that area, and there's some more on Church Avenue as well in Brooklyn, and those those places are great. That's cheap eats, full of flavor. You know that you you can go and 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 just get a taste of home uh, for just walking distance. I have a couple of other restaurants too. There's Jollof Restaurant in in Brooklyn as well. That's another place which I like to go and have the chebujen there. I like it because the chebujen is much lighter, doesn't have this heavy. Oil, because sometimes they tend to, to to abuse on the oil. That's something that changed. That's not a tradition, and that has changed because oil was connected with sign of wealth. Again, uh, unfortunately, it became to our detriment of our health. But um, I go to Jollof for that Chebujan, and um, another restaurant I go to Buka. Buka is a Nigerian restaurant in Brooklyn. I like that as well. I go there. You know, there are choices in Harlem. There are quite a number of choices. Um, uh, Ponty is another good one that I go to. Um, Les Ambassades, 
I can go on and on, Baobab, you know, there are some great restaurants yeah. out there, yeah. Well, I mean, there is a little Senegal in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, in 116th Street on, on ha- in Harlem, that's where that Baobab restaurant is, actually. And, uh, yes, they, there's, uh, we have choices, we have choices, it's starting, starting to come along. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the wonder with a book like this is, well, I can probably cook this, but where do I get the ingredients well, you'd be, f- you'd be surprised, you know, many of the ingredients, you can get them at the supermarket around the corner from your home, you know, because, again, because of that influence of our cuisine, some of the food that we do, you taste it, it's familiar to you, because that's not different than, you know, the, uh, your, your gumbo that you have in New Orleans is the same as our super kanja. So what you need for the gumbo, okra, you know, uh, seafood, rice, tomatoes. You know, the difference with ours maybe is the palm oil. And palm oil, you can find it now. In uh, You go to Whole Foods, you f- find palm oil. Some of the ingredients that you have difficulties finding in the book, at the end of the book, we have a sauce page that gives you all, all, all the places where you can get them. If you're lucky to live in New York, you can go to Little Senegal or you can go to Brooklyn or to the Bronx. There's a great African market in the Bronx called Gold Coast, Ghanaian, but they have all those African ingredients. And uh, you can also go to online Amazon.com sells many of those ingredients. Fonio is sold on Amazon now. Palm oil is sold. Well, I mean, let's talk about Fonio because there's such a grain movement in the U.S. right now for for better grains. And Fonio is not only a better grain, it is a superfood itself. I mean, it is, it's like one of the most lauded, if not equivalent to Tef, uh, grains in that region of the world. Yes, yes. It's, um, it is. Not only... One of the most lauded, it probably is the oldest cultivated grain in Africa. Supposedly it's been cultivated for 5,000 years. You'd be surprised how Fonio was widespread. You found Fonio, traces of Fonio all the way in ancient Egypt, in burial grounds in ancient Egypt. So that's how um, spread it was. But also it tells you about the importance that Fonio was found in burial grounds because it's still very, very much connected with our spirituality in places where Fonio is still uh, planted and, and consumed. In Senegal, for instance, in the south, um, I remember uh, in Casamance, some mothers would put Fonio in their children's pocket when they go to school. And it was supposed to, Fonio grains, it takes away the evil eye, you know. Uh, just, I mean, those little stories to tell you that uh, I think our grandmothers have had a better understanding of the importance of Fonio. They wouldn't call it a super grain, but they knew that it was a grain that was more than just a, a, a regular typical grain. And all the way in Mali, for instance, you would have Fonio would be considered by the Dogon people as the seed of the universe. You know, and this one grain, to get back to your question, this one grain is uh, considered superfood now because not only it's gluten free, you know, but it also has, it's packed with protein and vitamins. It has uh, amino acids, particularly two amino acids, cysteine and methiotine, that are very, very important for human growth. And you don't see them in abundance in other grains. It's actually deficient in other grains. And, and in Fonio, we have it in abundance. It's just a grain that's really... Another uh, uh, attribute of Fonio is it's drought-resistant. In these days, you know, where we're having some serious water problems, Fonio is a grain that doesn't require much watering. It grows in harsh conditions. It grows in sandy soil, you know, in the north Senegal, in parts of the world that are considered the Sahel, you know, because Senegal, south of Senegal, is south of the Sahara Desert, you know, so we have a very dry land in that part of the world and um, and Fonio can grow there 
another attribute of fonio as well is it matures it's probably one of the fastest maturing grain it matures within two months so you know it's a grain that could be uh, harvested like three four five times a year yeah it's a quick know. output you know it's funny I, I had always heard uh of african sorghum um but more so as as a grass or cover crop for golf courses here in the U.S., you know, fescue as well, because those things grew so quickly. But funio is of that same style, mm-hmm. that it grows quickly, regenerates, but there's actually an output for funio, like you said, within months, that it could be a resource for places like California, which are going through such terrible drought. So yeah. it, it is a crop that I think we should look at in this in this country Um not just for flavor, but for for functionality, you know, going forwards. Yeah, for 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 that too, for functionality, for flavor, for flavor because it's a very del- it's a delicious yeah. grain. I mean, that's a grain that used to be served for 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 just royalties. It was the grain for for very important people. Your guest of honor, you'd serve him for you. But uh, yeah, America should look at it. We should all look at it because it's really the it's the answer to world hunger. I like to call it this way because it's a it's a fact. You know, it's drought. Resistance is, it's healthy. It's a protein packed. You know, it's it's just it has the answers to to many of the problems we are facing right now. I also saw some pictures in your book of, you know, very very strong, strapping young lads wrestling. <laughs> Tell me about how do you say lamb? Lamb, uh-huh. lamb, lamb is uh, the national sport of Senegal. It's, um, it's even more popular than soccer. That says a lot. Because soccer is, you know, the world royal sport, but uh, in Senegal it's a tradition. You know, it's um, I had it in the book because the book is much more than just a, a cookbook. I wanted this book to to be a window to to my culture and through the culture, the food and and the wrestlers. You know, so so we got the wrestlers and we talk about the food they eat. You know, we talk about the, that that moment every weekend. There's a big wrestling fight, and those guys are. I mean, those guys are, are superstars in Senegal. The champions, they like you know, they're on billboards. They they're getting paid. I mean, it's just like <laughs> it's it's just funny. But the whole the whole lamb is is a is quite a, a scene. You know, the the lamb. The, the the lamb combat I call it the lamb combat the the wrestling combat, you know because it's uh, before the fight that's really what's uh, captivating when the wrestlers have to uh, compete on who who's better who's who's, who's got the 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 the, the, um, the most efficient talisman you know because they all they all have like as, as you see they're strapped with. With uh, we call it gray gray, but there's the, the mystical protections, you know, and those protections are supposed to give you victory. Uh, and I guess one of them is not as protected as, yeah. as the, the winner. But um, but that's that's really the the the, the 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 story before the fight, you know, before the fight is really the the whole show because they they're doing the, the these these amazing dances, you know, but just to showcase their their strengths and their their mystical strength and their. And, and their physical strengths as well. So it's 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 um, it's quite a scene. Yeah, yeah it's quite a scene. You know, when flipping through those pages, I, I kind of was going about the book, and then I, I saw a picture of this very muscular man, mm. uh, 
a much older man too named Diallo. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> who, who I thought was one of the wrestlers, but happened to be one of the red palm oil producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he could have been a wrestler too, because Diallo is from the south of Senegal, where wrestling is is part of the culture, is part of the initiation. You know, so they all the men and even the women actually in that part of Senegal, even women wrestle. So it's, they 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 they're very muscular. You know, that's the same people who were growing the rice who were taken to the Carolinas. So that they were serving a role because of their physical strengths in addition to their technology of uh, their knowledge of how to grow rice so Jallo is this man you know who's like he's very old actually but you'd be surprised by by his strength you know the first day we met him me and Evan we we were in the south and we were planning our meeting for the photo shoot for the following day and we saw Jallo he was riding his bicycle coming from the forest and he went to cut this amazing huge uh, branch of bamboo and he was holding it on one hand and riding his bicycle i mean that that branch of bamboo was I don't know, man. It was heavy. It was heavy. <laughs> but he didn't seem to be faced by it. He stopped and kept holding it and talking to us. And uh, what he does, this guy, for a living every day, not only he eats healthy food, but he produces his own palm oil. He collects his own honey from the the, 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 the forest around, you know. And it's an amazing forest because the forest in Casamas is a fruit tree forest. So the palm, the, the honey has this amazing, amazing flavor. It has this citrusy flavor that you, you add don't see in any honey I have tasted before. And and Jalo, I keep telling him, you need to pack, package this thing and yeah. bring it to the States. But he is far from that concept. He's very content with his whole, uh, his own little heaven of Casamas. He's yeah. like having a great life there. Well, I mean, you tell us these stories. Uh, you look through this book and, you know, you start salivating and you really want this Senegalese cuisine. But not everyone can get over to Senegal. But if they do, obviously, they can have it and they can read this book and, you know, even find Diallo if they want. Um, but you may be bringing Senegalese cuisine back to Brooklyn again. Tell me about, is there a restaurant in the mist? Well, there's a talk about it. There's a space even that we're looking at right now at, uh, on Nostrand. So it's uh, back to where it all began in Bed-Stuy, where... Uh, um, uh, so it's on the between Jefferson and Hancock to <laughs> for full disclosure. And uh, it won't be happening until the spring. So we're taking the time. It's going to be a different concept. This one is going to be much more um, easy on me, even though <laughs> <laughs> because I, I've been there and uh, you know I like to enjoy the family life that I'm living. I like to, to travel and look for different inspirations. So all those inspirations will be coming into that food. I've been traveling throughout Africa for the past three, four years, you know, from north to south, Zimbabwe, Uganda, South Africa, Cameroon, um, you name it, you know. And I've been getting inspiration, Nigeria. And those inspirations will be in, the, in that food, but more on a fast, casual concept, you know. It will be very very much about the food and, and no fuss around. So that's that's what's going it's to be It's exciting here. You know, you, you called Senegal the entrance to Africa, uh -huh. and I'm so glad that you consider it that because Africa is so much more than, you know, even just Senegal, uh -huh. that, that you may be bringing us so many stories and flavors that we, we you know, we're never aware of but are going to be so 
happy and excited to find out about. So I thank you for that. I thank you for this book. And um, this one's mine. I'm holding on to this one. (laughs) Usually I dole it out to some people, but no, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to go to my Satala, you know, wash my hands and sit down and enjoy a a communal bowl of whatever is made out of this uh, with good friends. Great, great. So thank you again, Pierre. (laughs) It's my pleasure, Michael. Thank you. It was great talking to you. You too. And you've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Big thank you to Jack in the studio, Fairway, for sponsoring. Uh, cookies as always for the song and everyone should check out our new website launched yesterday and there's that bleeding heart in the top right corner you know if if you're willing able please donate a little bit because you know every dollar really does count you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday at three cheers thanks for listening to this program on heritage radio network.org You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.